brothers and step siblings and then step half ones as well right you know lots of parents getting married lots of times just modern (laughs) it's the way of the world isn't it yeah i do i I do think we're backlashing these days though i'm fiercely monogamous and won't won't ever stray like a penguin Mm. i think that's beautiful i you know penguins yeah how good a penguin penguins are pretty fairy penguins how lovely that they're monogamous <laughs> <laughs> i think it's unreal there's a few, there's only a, I, I believe so there's only a few species in the world who remain lifelong partners i was reading something i think it was yesterday i mean i didn't read the article i just saw the headline because again that's part of today's culture um that said that elephants as elephants i think can actually die of heartache <gasps> they don't literally die of heartache but that they, they no are fiercely monogamous yeah. so that once their partner dies they have no will to live so they just basically huddle next to the dead partner oh my god and die of stop starvation. that story right now say something pretty about flowers unicorn flowers stop. thank you unicorn flowers <laughs> Happy New Year, friends, and thanks for choosing to spend your New Year's Day with Coming Up Next, listening to my dulcet tones. Uh, I hope you have an amazing 2018 lined up, and I hope you have had a very peaceful and uh, adventurous end to your 2017. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's Monday. What the hell are you doing releasing a podcast on a Monday? Well... Uh, after last week's episode with Michaela Bannis, that replay of episode number two, I was thinking about which episode I was going to replay this week. Uh, you know, at the start of last episode, the last episode, I talked about how the news cycle for podcasts doesn't last very long. Well, even if it did last long, uh, a long time, uh, two and a half years, it's probably a little bit too long to expect. So I thought I'd dig into the archives uh, to bring you, uh, you know, some of the new listeners, people who've been listening for a while, um, some of the old stuff, some of the uh, give you a little taste of the history of coming up next. So that was why we did Michaela Bannis last week, and I thought, you know, uh, I was deciding which uh, episode I would use this week um, to kind of show maybe how the shows evolved from that very first or second episode, and then I thought. Just, there's so many amazing people that I've spoken to um, in the first sort of year and a half of the show, uh, 2015 and 2016. So I thought instead of just giving you one episode, we'd go for five episodes. One episode each day this week, a replay episode of uh, an interview that I did in the first 18 months, uh, curated, it's a good word, curated by, uh, by me, uh, I don't know who else would curate it. Well, I guess I could have opened it up to a public vote, but fuck it, it's my show, so I'm going to choose the five episodes. These are five episodes that I feel, uh, you know, really shaped the show in some way. Uh, all the episodes do shape the show, but, you know, these were five that really I feel like, um, you know, the, they they each represented a little turning point or a, or a little evolution 
in the way that the show was done. So this week, uh, this week, this day, today, New Year's Day, uh, seems like a very poignant day to give you my interview, which was episode 10, with the uh, the former host of ABC's Recovery, Dylan Lewis. Uh, so I hope that while you're recovering from your New Year's Eve hangovers, or if you're still going, or however it is that your New Year's Day is playing out, or whenever you're listening to this episode, uh, that you enjoy episode 10, well, what I'm now calling episode 129. It's a replay. I don't know. How do I name that? I'm just going to name them uh, and continue moving forward. So episode 129, my replay interview with Dylan Lewis. person that's come in to do this that's actually listened to an episode because i've got but it's only the new it's new it's new well yeah but i've got a backlog of your episode 10 oh, are you serious yeah what did you think of the michaela episode it's beautiful enjoyed it i really yeah i dig the way oh she had just launched straight into the deep shit yeah it was it was pretty cool because again that was only the second episode so it was still kind you'd of think you'd need to warm up and coerce into it yeah and trick them a little bit that's how i do interviews i try and fast track the warm-up bit la, la, la. we're intimate we're friends you can trust me <laughs> boom truth bombs <laughs> you know but she just went way mm. good thanks do you want me all up in that like where do i go do i be like where do i go is that a chin rest <laughs> is that a chin rest I'm going to work this mic, mate. If I'm going to talk loud, I'll do one of these. What? Radio technique. WTF. What the fuck? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> Never heard that before. I like that. <laughs> the next podcast will be called Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Boom. With Mark Marin. <laughs> yes. What's this I, then? Is this a song you're writing? Some, there's some things there. Where it is? There. Actually, that's, yeah, that's a Hey Frankie thing. Boom. Blueprints for another Hey Frankie trip. Oh, see, I might steal that. <laughs> <laughs> Hungry Fridays. Oh, look, these ideas are everywhere. Look there. at all your dots. You're quite a professional muse, aren't you? <laughs> dots everywhere. Dot. Trained? Yeah. Classically? Uh, yeah, sure, but later. Oh, yeah. So I actually started out playing um, jazz, and then later on, went to, then went to classical. Really? Sort of did them both side by side. And now I do mostly jazz, but I still do some classical. Yeah, man. Yeah. Jealous. Wish I learnt jazz. You should check out Brown Hornet. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. If you want, don't have to. Pretty old school. <laughs> should I play it in the background? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Have a little... Put on Marmalade and just go through <laughs> the whole gamut. No, no, there's too many notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is... Um, oh, have you started? Boop! <laughs> and begin. <laughs> uh, episode... We're up to episode 10, which is pretty pretty mind-blowing for me. I'm sitting across from Dylan Lewis today, who's come into wax poetic on uh, <laughs> life and all that stuff, the big and small questions. I don't know. I guess that's kind of relative to uh, your thought process, isn't it's it? Too much pressure to say it's going to be poetic. Yeah. You know. I'm surprised that you didn't pick up on the waxing part. 
Oh no, I'm well, I'm well waxed. Oh, you just yeah wanted to glaze quite, over that. Yeah, and I'm quite tidy. Um, Dylan's had quite a prolific career as a. Um, I'm not even sure what you would classify what you do as presenting mm. in the music industry, but also as a journalist, an interviewer, a musician yourself, and now a radio um, person and a winner of Celebrity Big Brother from 2002. <laughs> the only one, the only one in Australia. But that seems like a really long title to introduce someone with. Yeah, no, it is hard. I have had this trouble through the career of what, what am, what am I? Mm. What am I? Which <laughs> section do I go in the albums, you know, with music and with career? I don't know. I went to England once and had a crack and I got, I got great management over there. John Knoll was his name. And he, he was doing Russell Brand as well, managing him, not doing him. And, and John Knoll's whole mission the whole time was to try and put me in a box to go, well, are, you, are you a comedian? And I'm like, no. Oh, uh, are, you just, uh, are you a journalist? No, I don't think so. I'm not sure. So I think presenter is, is what I am. But when I'm, when I'm going to countries and they say, what's your profession? I go, media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you put musician, you get probed. <laughs> yes, if you put filmmaker, you get probed as well. Do you? Yeah. Just with a bigger boom mic. <laughs> That's terrible. Happy 10th birthday. Thank you. Good on you. We're, finally, we're, we're into double digits. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, and, you know, I think people in the creative industry can relate to that feeling that you get when you see something realized and you know this is just something that i like to call my chemical reactions that formulate ideas in my brain wow. brain farts brain farts yeah. yeah i call them visits from the brain angel the brain angel yeah it's, a, it's the brain angel that comes mm. along because this is your thing's been evolving quite beautifully and organically mm. is that the chemical thing that you're talking about well, I don't, I don't think I mean the way that the show's evolving necessarily on its own. That's certainly part of it. But, you know, I sat down, I was listening to this podcast and people who listen know that I've made reference to this and am openly uh, admitting to having ripped off <laughs> the idea of an American podcast called You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> and he, in turn, openly admits to ripping off WTF with Mark Maron. And I'm sure that there are plenty of other people who have ripped off either of those. Let's call it paying homage to, not ripping off. Yeah. You know? Paying homage to. There's only so many notes in the scale. (laughs) Well, this is one of the things that is discussed a lot with uh, Pete Holmes is that originality can be the death of creativity because there is no originality. It's everything has been done. So trying to do something original and I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see. Well, no one can. Well, you can. Well, yeah, I know. But and Nick can. Yeah, I know. But this is audio. Why don't you film it? I've thought about that, and then releasing the film as premium content and yeah. charging people money. You'd have to get a better room than this shitty one, though. <laughs> like, no offense, but it's you know, otherwise there's a blanket sticky taped to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> What's that about? Is that soundproofing? <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's good. It's a of lovely. Ten guests. You're the first one to ask. <laughs> well, really? It's a stained blanket. <laughs> I'm not touching that. It looks like a jizz rag. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> champagne showers in here. Yeah. Mm. Visceral again. Mm. Go mm. back to masticating. Mm. Um, Do you want me to masticate on air? Is that what you're saying? 
I'll yeah. do one little bit of masticating. Because it's quite a loud. Mm. It's my least favourite sound. It's pretty... I'm just doing it to demonstrate. That's uh, my least favourite sound. Completely I'm masticating with a carrot. On a podcast. Mm. That's not going to be released for another eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like future mm. mastication. Mm. It's like seeing a star. Mm. It's, it's from the history. It's from the past. Mm. Is that weird? Sorry. Let me finish masticating while you work out the next up. bit. What I was, <laughs> where I was going with that thought. It's uh, funny. Like I, I was looking back through my notes of other, you know, the other people that have come in and I'm looking at it going, I didn't ask any of these. Qu-. Like I just start, I'm like, I've got a few questions or a few, th-, you know, I look at your Wikipedia page and. Oh, you didn't look at that. I did. I hate it. What do you hate it? Is it someone's put a picture on there. Like this isn't vanity. This is looking after my brand. <laughs> There's the worst picture on there where I clearly I'd eaten 300 donuts that day. I'm just not happy with it. And I've tried to take it down. And I've tried to take it down so many times that I've been blocked from, from trying to adjust or alter my page anymore. It just keeps on popping back up, boinging back up. Who are these people around the world who are, who are moderating Wikipedia? Red flags must come up going, Dylan Lewis's page. Someone's stuffing with it again. Uh, now, and, and they've called it vandalizing now. The fact that I keep on trying to take it off. It's vandalism of my own page. It's Boo! Your page. Stupid th- voice of the people. Yeah. How dare free speech <laughs> <laughs> be allowed. Yeah, it's not fair. I don't, want, I don't want that truth picture up there. I want a glamour <laughs> shot. <laughs> of you with red spiky hair. Well, yeah, that's that's okay. That's my youth. That's your youth. I haven't done that for a while. <laughs> Every time I try and dye my hair these days, people think it's because I'm trying to cover up the greys. But mm. I like I like my new salt and pepper. I seem wise. You do, like a silver fox. Nearly. Nearly? Nearly. Nearly at Clooney stage. <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> I've got a couple. And what, is your, what does your wife think about your, uh, your hairs? My hairs? Mm. <laughs> I think she dislikes me just the way I am. Just the way you are. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, she says that anyway. Mm. She did admit to me recently that she's she's thought for a long time that my cooking's terrible. <laughs> it was a terrible truth bomb to hear. So now I've just I've just decided that my role in the kitchen is I'm a really good preparer. Mm. You know, and I can bake things because there's definite instructions with baking. It's not like jazz cooking where you get a frying pan, man, and you just work. You feel when the meat's done, man. No, it's not that. It's it's, it's if, if I'm making a lemon tart, it's strict, strict instructions. It goes at a specific temperature for a specific time. It comes out and it's delicious. Mm. I can't, I, I can't, can't, can't here. I can't grill. <laughs> I just can't grill. It's too jazz. How your barbecue skills at? I'm good on the barbie. Yeah. That's not that hard. But that's the same. There's strict instructions with my barbecue. It's four minutes on each side. Boom, done. Mm. And if it looks a little bit raw still, just cook it a bit more. That's fine. You can stand outside, have a beer, wear thongs, mm. Aussie dream. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a favourite stubby holder? Um, I had a friends of Rom one for a while that said man's not a camel, which I liked for two reasons, and that is a I'm a massive fan of camels. I don't know why. I think it's a past life thing. I think I might have been a Persian prince, and every time I see a camel, I am intrigued by it, and I stand at it next to it, and I look at it, and I, you know, I. I collect camels, and I had camels at my twenty-first. I was in I was in Abu Dhabi last week, and there's camel pictures everywhere. It was very hard to get me through the airport. But the other reason is that friends of Rom, I've got some strange history with because they used to come on an old TV show I used to do called Recovery mm. back in the day, and they were one of the few bands who got it. 
like they'd come on and just be lovely and punk and just unruly and try and sticky tape me to the chair and shave me and it was unreal because it was live we couldn't control them and that's just that's what i wanted i wanted more anarchy and chaos and they were one of the few bands who got it mm. so i love them i secretly hate them at the same time i, I remember that this one time i was doing i was doing a, it was like a blue light disco night with bands instead of disco you know those things that the police organized back in the day you're too young it was in the it's in the 1900s. <laughs> I think it was in the 90s. And I was hosting it and I made the mistake of thinking it would be nice to wear a linen pant. And I had a, a cream linen pant on because it was the 90s and people were into linen a bit. I imagined myself looking like windswept on a beach, but I was at a blue light thing. Mm. And I got up on stage and I was supposed to introduce Friends or Rom and, the, and it was organized by the police. So I had to be you know a bit polite and stuff. And I'm like, oh, friends of Roma coming up next. And someone yelled, punch him in the face. <laughs> they wanted friends of Roma to punch me in the face because that was one of their songs. All he needs is a punch in the face. And then I, and then they threw a can of Fanta at me and it went in slow motion and splashed all over my white linen pant and hence made an orange stain on it. And the, the first thing that came to my mind was, and I know I can say this because I've listened to your other episodes. First thing that came to my mind was to say, oh, you little cunt. And I never got invited back. I got really angry about my linen pant being stained with an orange Fanta. Mm. Boo. Fanta pants. Fanta pants. Boo. Because no one likes a Fanta pants spoken. (laughs) No, exactly. Good. Yeah. Yeah, That's nice. Bit of of, uh, throwback there to the 90s. uh, Punk. Because you're only 30, aren't you? Yeah. You just turned 30 and hence this is why this is happening. Yeah. In a strange way. Um... I don't know why turning 30 has... Oh, I get it. You get it? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I felt... When I turned 30, it was it was not a happy moment. Mm. I felt like it, my 20s were dead, and that's what I sort of focused on for a little bit. But I really dig what you're doing with your 30s, where you're taking a, a time to take a <laughs> breath and have a look around and go, what's going on? What yeah. am I achieving? What am I doing? What will I do next? I love your way of looking at it. I was... I was too negative about it. And then I started to embrace the 30s. And when someone said the phrase to me, dirty 30s, I'm like, yeah, that's it. Time I'm, to not, get in the I'm not on my P's anymore. I can be a grown-up sort of. It's funny. I really feel exactly that. Like, um, And thank you for um, saying that as well because it's, uh, it's nice to have that feedback. That's um, okay. But I certainly feel like in being this reflective and... Um, Wondering that, I feel like I really am then forcing myself to be self-reflective and ask myself questions about where I want to go and where I want to be and stepping into being the adult and looking back at the 20s and going, every time I thought I was an adult, I wasn't really being an adult. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. You're being a a version of an adult. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was putting the adult jacket on, but not actually being you know is doing adult not being adult how come you get to be so mature what happened what are you are you are you like other youth i'm calling you a youth because mm. you've only just turned 30 mm. you're not 42 like me <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you never get old compared to an older person <laughs> i remember when everywhere my parents i go. were 40 yeah yeah i remember when yeah i remember when our parents turned 40 i remember the the party that was had they seemed really grown up Mm. i don't feel that grown up like grown up like they seem to me Mm. you know what i mean i do not are you are you like other people in 
in the in the younger generation is everyone because that's i mean that's really it's really good to be self-reflective it and it may be maybe is it a byproduct of the i generation is that what's going on where you you get it you get it enough to go where do i fit in the world rather than mm. how why isn't the world fitting in with what i want to do do you know what i mean i Are you, you're an i generation aren't you iphone i mm. this i me 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 i am i uh what am i i'm gen y yeah that's your generation is it i guess i don't really subscribe to these generational yeah man modes smash personally. the box that's right well i don't i don't know i don't i guess i don't believe in blanket um Categorizations, yeah, categorizations. Mm. Going back to what you're saying about trying to fit something into a box, yeah, smash the box, yeah, which is another way of saying rooting someone. It is is a bit fun. I was just thinking an entendre as well. It is a double meaning. Yeah, maybe there's a third meaning in there. Actually, smashing a cardboard box, which my two-year-old son likes to do Mm. after he's pretended to be a robot for a while, (laughs) put on his head, Optimus with no pants. Like old mate, why haven't you got pants on? Sorry, What's I didn't warn you. Um, I, was, I didn't want to say anything, but that's making me feel a little uncomfortable. I'm quite conservative. I'm from Adelaide. Yeah, well, I thought you may not have come in if I'd told you that. Um, well, I heard it. I heard it in the podcast, and I thought you were joking. Yeah, Nick Minna, walk in here. Your bro's got no pants on. Well, I, I would like to say at this point, thank you for not taking your pants off and for taking my side in this. Um, well, Damien Walsh Howling took his pants off, or was that just theatre? Because you heard that, obviously, he stood up and put his fly right next to the microphone and mm. took his belt off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he sat on that chair that you're sitting on currently with, uh, oh, with ball his sack balls and all. on it. Yeah. Boo! He's a lovely man. He is a lovely man. But I don't want his um, balls on a lovely on scrotum. Me. I'm not gonna, oh my God, I'm going to have to wash my jeans when I get home. Mm. Um, to answer your question, I'm not sure. I don't think I am. I don't think I fit into the the norm of what my generation might be. Um, I certainly didn't have any fears about turning thirty, and it's not as if this whole approach has come out of me going, "Oh, what am I doing with my life? Where am I? What's what's going on? I've, yeah, okay. I've achieved nothing." It's no. more come out of me going, "Well, here are all my friends, or a lot of my friends that I grew up, that I've grown up with, who are graduating to houses and." marriages Mm. and children Mm. and here i am pursuing this dream and following my heart and struggling to pay rent every month but loving the scrap of life that i am that i'm you know creating for myself and finding a a level of success for myself and defining what that means to me it's i just think it's so important to notice the good things that one is doing Mm. isn't it i think it's important it's very important. You know, I heard when you were talking to Michaela about, you know, people in Australia in the tall poppy syndrome and self-deprecating that this this culture in Australia where we, we're not allowed to big up ourselves. Mm. And, and it's not until you are successful overseas as an Australian that Australia even notices that you might be a commodity worth fucking investing in. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I haven't experienced it on a tiny weeny level when I couldn't, I, I'd sort of, I'd, I'd done a lot of work in Australia and I was sort of doing a few of those inverted commas celebrity shows that you mentioned before. I, and, and then I thought, well, there's actually no job for me here at the moment. I'll go to England, have a go. 
And it, within one week of being in England, Australian producers and directors were on the phone going, we need you to come back. And I'm like, no, I've just got, I've just got to England. And no, 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 we really need you to come back. And it, it felt like mm. because I had gone over there, people perceived me as, I don't know, an internationally marketable human. And it, I wasn't internationally marketable. I was exactly the same person. But then I had to fly back to Australia after one week in England and leave my missus back over there come back here and do another another little bit of a TV show. Then I went back to England and drank some beer and was pretty much unsuccessful and lived off my wife's wage. <laughs> she was a teacher. <laughs> well, that's the dream. Yeah, that's it. And then the pub. I'm, I'm being creative at the yeah. pub, having some pints. Me and Mr. Jamison. Yeah, well, I hadn't discovered Mr. Jamison at that stage. Ah, uh, slow. Oh, you want to talk party. about Phil Jamison from Grinspoon? No, whiskey. Whiskey, yeah. Whiskey. yeah. No, we I'm can not. talk about Grinspoon in a bit if you want. Oh, I love Grinspoon and Phil, uh, and I've only just discovered whiskey. So isn't that isn't that in, is it not interesting? Is it interesting? That's very interesting. Is it? I fucking love whiskey. Oh, do you? Yeah. See again, thirty years of age and you already get it. Like whiskey is an art, an mm. art in your mouth, isn't it? Oh yes, especially I'm um, I. Haven't quite diverged from Scotch yet. I've tried. I've I've kind of gone on to the Japanese whiskies. <gasps> Sames. I just had one yesterday because someone else was paying. Mm. Yes, and I tried the Irish. I was in Dublin last week, and I've tried the Irish. Tried some Irish ones when I was there. Like I'm literally only a couple of months into my whiskey journey. Mm. I oh, found I found a favourite one. It's, it's called Lagavulin. Is that something? Lagavulin. Don't think I'm pronouncing it right. Not sure. I haven't. Uh, Lagavulin. Haven't tried. <laughs> like no. a villain. Like a villain. Ooh. Smoked for the first time. Smoked for the very first time. I'm 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 googling it. Oh, I can't be bothered. It's taken too long. <laughs> there's a great place on the corner of. Uh, I know you're north side, but there's a great place on the corner of. Um. um Burwood Road and Glenfrey Road in yeah. Hawthorne. That's like a whiskey bar, <gasps> and they pair whiskies with beer. How? Why? What do you have a? Do you, you have a beer and then a whiskey chaser, or the you, other way? You, well, you they. I mean, they've they've got like fucking six hundred different whiskies or something, <gasps> and they do they offer pairings where you buy a beer that complements the flavour of the whiskey. So you're just <gasps> kind of sipping intermittently, going. <laughs> really? Ooh, this tastes good. Ooh, this tastes great. Ooh, that tastes even better now. And it's fucking... How lovely. Because mm. I cool. started on the Shivers. And the reason I started is because I was watching Mad Men. And also at the same time as I was watching Mad Men and thinking, geez, that, that looks really handsome. Mm. I thought, oh. And I also won a bottle, a giant bottle, 4.5 litre of the Shivers Regal. That's a big bottle. Of yeah, and but I didn't like any brown spirits. And so I forced myself to learn oh, with the shivers. And then I'm like, oh no, it's slowly getting less shit. <laughs> um, and, 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 and then I moved on to Lefroig because I love it was Lefroig. a unique taste and mm. it felt a little bit like licking an ashtray. <laughs> but that was exciting. And now I've moved to this one, which I finally Googled. And it is Lagavulin, a 16-year-old Scotch. Lagavulin. Mm. Lagavulin. A little bit peaty. Not as ridiculously peaty as the Lefroig. Lefroig. Yeah. I but then these Japanese ones is, is another thing again, a bit more floral. Mm. Have you got onto the Glen Morangi yet? I think I had I had one in Ireland. There's some really last week. really tasty Glen Morangis out there. I would highly recommend that. Or maybe I had it on the plane. Mm. No, it's all a big blur. I'm still a little jet lagged. Sorry. Jet-lagged. No, that's okay. Is that okay? That's fine. I mean, this whole thing is just a big ramble 
as you yeah. would have heard with Michaela. Yeah, no, it's good. Kind of dips in and out of philosophy and fart jokes. <laughs> I love a Babylon and well, I'm a fan of reggae. So that's good, isn't it? <laughs> so let's talk about recovery for a second. Okay. Because um, I guess there has to be some direction in this. I don't know why there has to be. No, that's chronological. Um, yeah, I think Michaela or maybe Damo. They're probably the only two that are actually chronological. Everything else is just a tangent of me going, <laughs> what about this? And then we talk about this and yeah. then we'll go back there. Yeah. Um, but recovery was really for you. It was the first big thing mm. that you were given. Yes. And in a sense, you were kind of thrust into a really big show that was highly unpredictable. Mm. It was controlled chaos. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember watching it a little bit um was it 96 to 2000 Mm. um and i went back and watched some of the clips on youtube the last couple of days as well and just seeing the insanity that was um that was provoked and that was there what was it like for you at that time when you were given that job to go from essentially being a no one to being this very recognizable Hmm. person that was so entrenched and so iconic um, in Australian music. I don't think I knew what was going on when it was happening. It was so surreal. And I just continued to live in my bubble, as I pretty much do to this day, of my world. And so for me, it was I finished a uni degree, studied music and drama teaching, and then, and then I was playing in the Brown Hornet and then... And then I was doing a little bit of theatre as well on the side. And then this this thing came up and and I got the job fully accidentally. I didn't even, I, I didn't send in a resume or anything. My wife sent it in. Well, she was my girlfriend at the time thinking, oh, that sounds like a fun job for Dylan. I'll send in this. And she forgot to tell me. And then I'm getting calls from these producers going, come in and have a chat. And and then it was real to, revealed to me later that the reason they called me in because it was because my resume was so shit and it was the last one. It came in late. And I'm like, what? what do you mean it was shit? And Holly, my missus, had sent in a resume that I was about to update. So there was pencil scribblings all over it. And the resume consisted of my work experience at World for Kids, a toy shop, and in a pottery factory. And it was irrelevant. But they just thought it was so weird, funny, shit, and ballsy to have even sent in a resume. And so the next minute, I'm sitting in these weird meetings with all these hopefuls. Um, who really wanted to be music journalists kind of things or, or some of them wanted to be famous. But I, because I still had no idea what was really going on I, 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 and I didn't have a need to get the gig, you know, I, I still didn't know, know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a teacher, but I still loved all those things that I had studied like music and theatre and also imparting and encouraging people to want to know about knowledge, you mm. know, and, and to better themselves. So there I am sitting in these weird auditions with these people and and a lot of people in those auditions i remember no offense if anyone's listening but they were really trying to showcase their skills and their amazing voice and oh my knowledge of this and this and this (laughs) but i found myself as i do naturally in life making sure that everyone has a go has a speak you know oh what what do you think about this and i'd be going around the room and putting my two bob in and and I think the producers were attracted to my nonchalance, mm. but also to my inclusive nature. And then they realised as well that I'm very passionate about music. Um, and so that lent itself to the gig. And then it just feels like within a few weeks of that, I was being flown to Sydney 
and we were doing these shows and I sort of almost didn't realize they were live except I had all my mates back at my share house tuning in and having a big party and we called them from the first show and it was my mates on the phone going, oh, dude, and they were like, you're on telly, man. I know, dude. It was weird. It was so <laughs> surreal. And then it progressed. And it, but it's only in retrospect that I look back and, and realize um, that it was important to so many people. I sort of got it at the time. Um, but it, it's the people who still come up to me. That's the thing I'm recognized for most, you know, walking around the supermarket. It's, oh, recovery, dude. And it's lovely. But that's still the thing and that stands out in people's minds because it was it was it was at a time in life where there was still no internet and so the only access people had you know younger people people living living in rural areas you know people who didn't get out much was their only access to to find out what was going on in you know, in the music world and pop mm. culture and so i didn't realize its importance properly at the time and now in retrospect i'm like god please give me another show like that and you know Ever since then, that I mean, that was that that was the ultimate TV show, and the producers were so fantastic and and really understood that they were dealing with a strange um, talent, putting me in there because I wasn't TV trained, but I was using all my skills from studying at uni about preparation. Like I'd over prepare everything, and I'd be reading photocopied notes because we didn't have Wikipedia back then mm. about all the bands. I'd listen to every <laughs> band's current album and all their other albums i'd read the lyric sheets looking for gold panning for gold in the liner notes you know and, and that was how i proposed so all these skills that i i had from from uni and, and from life they were all being applied but the producers built the show around sort of a bit a, a bit around me and that's why it felt comfortable being in that chaotic environment it was home i i just it felt i loved it so much i loved getting up on saturday morning and driving my valiant into work i loved that the gates would open for my Valiant and then they'd close again. I had a little special car park and I'd do my <laughs> melody horn. <laughs> the top horn was missing and it was just amazing. And you'd walk into the, with these people that became family, you know, the enforcer, you know, he's still a brother of mine, you know, Angus Sampson and Lee Winnell, who's gone on to amazing things. He was a shitty film reviewer who was so passionate about mm. film and now he's gone on to make films. Now he's a multimillionaire because he did the Saw stuff and Insidious and all that. All these people and Jane Gazzo and just that they're, they're still part of my life to this day because we, we bonded so fiercely and it was so it was a magical it was a magical moment in life, let alone the fact that it forced me to be completely up to date with all music because it was such a an amazingly inclusive show and it was really showcasing Aussie talent, which I think to this day we, the you know, T V and even radio to a certain extent, it's there's never been anything like it since then. And, and and making all these upcoming Aussie bands who still, a lot of them are performing to this day or reuniting, you know. I mean, it's regurgitators, it's silver chairs, it's grin spoons, it's amazing, you know, the foves, all these awesome, these awesome bands being treated how they should be treated because they're making an amazing music which is touching so many people. And so there'd be these massive sets built by our amazing set designers, just huge, filling up the entire studio and... These bands would walk in for sound check, and most of them hadn't been to bed the night before, so there was that strange feeling added into the equation as well of, of just like wasted people. <laughs> there was a lot of wasted people hanging around, and then trying to keep it kid friendly. So there was you know G rating on the show. So these mm. these unruly cats who were coming in trying to make them not swear and but offering them sake, warm sake under the table while we're doing the interviews. All that was going on. 
it was just glorious. It yeah. was just, it was how, how I think rock and roll should be. And it was beautifully represented on TV and all the fun little silly games as well. They were, they were just perfect for that time in history. And then, and then it just seems so fast that all of a sudden this world just changed. And so I don't know if like every time I've tried to pitch another music show to a network, it's been like, well, there's not really much need for a music show anymore because everyone's got YouTube. And I'm like, bullshit, what are you talking about? That's one way to, to see it. But people have to actively go and seek it. You're not given a, a smorgasbord of music to see which thing you dig and then you go and pursue it more. It's You've got to know what you want to listen to. How are you supposed to know, how are you supposed to know what's out there? Mm. I mean, there's great radio stations who are showcasing amazing music and you can go and listen to them. That's good. That's one way. But there doesn't seem to be anything really like that on tv and you've still got you know shows like video hits which i was lucky enough to work on for a bit and at least that had amazing producers and amazing talent like forstina who were passionate about music too and they'd make sure and even when i worked on pepsi live you'd think that with a name like that it was going to be overly commercial but the producers on that show were really really into the music too and they were like Do you know what if it's called if pepsi's going to pay for this that's fine, but at least we're still going to showcase upcoming artists as well mm. as Britney Spears, you know. And so that was weird as well, going through from an ABC show, you know, with minimal budget and then moving into the commercial world, but still working with people who they chose me to work on the shows because they knew that I was passionate and I still am passionate, you know, about the whole music thing. Mm, so when clearly. you're talking to a small band, smaller or starting band, there's as much passion as when you're talking to britney spears there's just less bouncers there telling you what you're not allowed to ask which is what it was with britney spears and less hair extensions in the yeah uh, yeah oh my dressing God, room. yeah <laughs> yeah what is it about music for you that you're so passionate about that you want to build your whole life around it because you studied it you play mm-hmm. it you yep. practice it you want to get it out there not just for yourself it's not an ego thing for you clearly right. because yeah. if it was you would have you know probably act, been more active in pursuing the lifestyle of a rock and roll musician yeah um that's a lovely question i like that what is it about music um i guess it's a question i should have asked myself a bit more it's it's just in me i guess i didn't start uh properly learning music until high school um so now that i've got kids i'm really I want them to have the opportunities that I wished I had. I wish I'd started earlier. I wish I was more virtuosic. I wish I could play the piano better. You know, I can pretty much bash out an Enya tune and one Madness song on the piano, but I know how to construct chords. And I mean, I had a little bit of classical training. So music was there in my youth. I remember my dad, he had a cool record collection, you know, and so he, I was brought up accidentally in the background, always hearing Stevie Wonder and always hearing Roberta Flack. So that's what I grew up thinking music was um and then my dad used to learn the flute and he was horrible and shitted and i hated listening to him practice the flute and then and then i was so keen to learn oh please can we learn and and so i got i was allowed to have piano lessons in about year seven um, but we didn't have a piano so i was was so into the idea of learning piano wanting to be good at it that i made a cardboard piano and and drew the keys on it and cut them out so i could at least practice my fingering on the piano and and eventually we got a, an upright piano and I got to I got to pursue it properly and then I learnt clarinet so it's always been there in my youth and then it's and then after school always oh, we were always after school we had to hang around for ages because my dad was a teacher there and all my friends who also had teachers as parents would be hanging out after school so we just all got into all the music groups and 
at school I was in every single music group just because it felt right. And I, I, I don't know necessarily, I didn't know then why it felt right, but it did. And so I was in choirs and madrigal groups and little jazz ensembles and orchestras and bands and you know and the school musicals anything I could get into I would be doing partially because I was just stuck after school there anyway I might as well do something but partially because it felt right and then I, as you mentioned I, I went on to learn about music at university and that was teaching music um, and then that's when I sort of I, I guess it started to click in my brain that I, I, I just think it, it should be a thing which everyone has access to because it began to become apparent that it's a healing thing for me as well it's so mm. important I wasn't into sport. Um, I, I probably could have been, but there were other people at my school, which was really sport centric, who were better at sport, and so I was picked last. And the, and it was always that sort of I'm not having Lewis. <laughs> That's my memory of sport yeah. and me standing there. No one wants to pick me for their team, and I could just go, oh, "That's all right, guys. I got a I got a clarinet lesson anyway." And I go off and have a clarinet lesson, which I was you doing because I had a crush ball. on the teacher. Um, but. So the healing part became apparent, but not in an, a convoluted kind of way. It's not like, oh God, without music, I wouldn't be here. It's not like that. It's just that I found myself whenever the voices in the head got too much, I'd sit at a piano and stick my foot on the sustain pedal and just play things on on the black keys, on the pentatonic scale, or just find other notes that just... And I'd be there and then an hour later I'd go, oh, okay, that calmed everything down in my head for a little moment, in, uh, just a small moment. It was a meditation. That's what it was. That's what it was. <gasps> I just had the epiphany. It's a meditation. <laughs> Music is a meditation for me. And then when it, when it got to me having a go of playing in bands, you know, and I got a taste of that feeling of immediate feedback from an audience and seeing, seeing people taken to another place, which is a positive place, um, that made it even more important, you know, having that effect you have this it was about it was sort of about playing with energy then i think a little bit playing mm -hmm. with the band it was it was like this thing which became more and more apparent the more gigs we did and the hardcore we got um because our music was a mixture between sort of funk and metal and hip-hop and ska and anything that excited us but it was all that more energetic kind of stuff so i'd find myself chucking energy into the crowd and giving it my all and just doing as much stuff as i could on the stage possibly to cover up the fact that i'm not an amazing singer but it was about it was always about entertaining it. I'd chuck this energy out, and then the energy from the audience would bounce back into my face and into my soul a hundredfold. Every single person who got that energy bounced it right back, and it was it got me high. It was just euphoric. And every time you get off stage, and you know, you'd feel like it, you'd feel like what it's supposed to feel like to be a human. That's what I think. That's that's utilizing your humanness to its full extent. That's 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 pushing the boundaries of just getting out of mundanity in everyday mm -hmm. life and going, oh, humans can do this. We've got so much more potential, so much more energy. And that was tapping into that, you know, and it was having a taste of what it's like to be an enlightened being. That's what it felt like, you know. And then I guess moving into uh, TV and then and radio and it always being something to do with music, It's it's been possible for me to continue that journey and work out ways to, I guess encourage more people to have a go and to listen to music differently and to accept music and and to think about it and and let let some emotions happen for people mm. it's a lot of life can can just sort of pass you by and be quite a bland dish but music just can enhance life and it, and it can make it more exciting more worthy more worthwhile just 
it's it's something to it's something to live for for me it's something to live for and now working in a very commercial environment i find myself i feel it feels like i've tricked my way in there <laughs> a little bit because i still don't feel like a music journalist um or a professional dj but i've worked my way into the system enough that that passion can still filter through even in a commercial context and so it's affecting people you know and whether i'm doing a funny little parody song on a radio show or or being passionate about a song that that we've just played on the radio it's it's a point of difference and i think and you know that's something that i found while studying teaching it was never about making sure everyone was really good at getting good marks it was about encouraging people to be passionate about music or theater or drama or the arts because if they're passionate about it they're going to go forth and conquer on their own all i can do is be a little bit of a catalyst for that to happen mm. so that's why i didn't go and teach because it became so much about curriculum that it was like impeding on my my mission no my mission is to get more people and now more people into it and now you know there's a massive a massive amount of people who i can connect with and do my little thing my little mission in life which is just to make the world a little bit of a better place and this is the way i know how to do it i know how to do it through music art passion and mm. love and now i get i get i get to do it in this in this in this way and in the commercial world it's like I remember the, 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 the worst thing you could say to me when I left ABC and moved into, I think it was the first, first gig was on Channel 10 or something like that. People would go sell out and I'd be like, what? I, haven't, I haven't changed. What are you talking about? I just, I just now I've got a bigger house. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all right. I don't want to look after my family. What's wrong with that? I, yeah. I like nice champagne. And what's wrong? And now I can buy more instruments. I just mm. bought a harp. Motherfuckers. I bought a harp. harp. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm learning harp. You know, so that being able to, to talk about a commercial song, it's something that I wouldn't have considered myself to be able to do. I'm not selling out. I'm still applying the same amount of passion when I back announce mm. a bloody Ed Sheeran song, you know, who is, is overplayed on the radio, someone like Ed Sheeran. And, and even I get a, a little bit fatigued by hearing his songs over and over again. But I'm still passionate about Ed Sheeran. And I saw him last week. That's why I was in Dublin. I saw him doing a live show, an intimate show, and I cried. Mm. And I didn't cry. I, I think his lyrics are beautiful and really just honest and modest. But I cried because of his craftsmanship. Mm. He is masterful. And I was just so moved seeing this dude on a stage who's doing that intimate show that I saw. He's doing it in, in arenas around the world. It's him on a stage with a crazy looping pedal device at his feet and his shitty guitar. What? And he conquers. He just... Because he's it, honest. But he's With honest. But craft. the way he works his craft, mm. the way he can make himself sound like he's got a symphonic orchestra behind him one minute because mm. he's looping up and layering onto himself. You don't even notice him doing it. And then he's layering up eight-part harmonies onto himself, which just sounds like the song's growing and growing and growing. And then it sounds like he's got a DJ behind him putting out a fat beat. And that's him bashing his guitar and looping. He's bashing it with his fist. Huh. It was astonishing and astounding. And... And every time I see music like that and I feel music like that, it just spurs me on to keep going. I just, I, I get, I get, I'm more and more passionate every day about music. You know, I want my kids to know about music. I train them. I'm a good dad with the music stuff. The kids are into Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> Bowie. You know, they're into Kate Bush and stuff, who I went to see last year. Oh, Kate Bush in England last year, first gig mm. in 35 years. Wow. You know, I still seek out music that inspires me. And I guess there was a little while there where... Um, 
I sort of got a little bit jaded and hearing too much commercial music and I'd, I'd have to get in the car and put on ABC FM to cleanse my soul. And the only music I was into was world music because I hadn't heard those sounds before. But, but it's, it's coming around again that, no, I can, find, I can find beauty in Taylor Swift. I can find beauty in Ed Sheeran as I can find beauty in the throat singers, you know, which is an amazing art form unto itself. It what? Is. You want me to have, do some? Yeah. What? yeah, would you please? What? It hurts a bit. Go on. How's that that I just led myself to this moment where I get to do some throat singing? That's where I, that's what this whole podcast is going to That's amazing. If you uh, put a echo on that afterwards, it sounds dope. <laughs> what about this one? This is like a different one that's like that. This is um, it's. It's still it's harmonic singing. It uses similar technique, but it's not it's not all hurty and heavy metal like that. It goes like this. Can't tell me that's not magic. Can't tell me that's not angels bloody singing along with me. That's What's pretty, that all about? Pretty phenomenal. You're harmonizing with your nose. Yeah, I don't know. No, it's it's something to do with the cavity of your mouth. Yeah, yeah. And then those notes are always there, but the that doing that technique somehow makes them apparent instead of just hidden and a part of the part of the sound. Does that answer your question about why I like music? Yeah, it does. Um, okay. And there are a couple of things in there that that you said that um, you, when you're talking about, I think if I may be so bold as to. Um, take it one step further yes i think that what you're doing is you're facilitating a connection and you're facilitating an energy between an audience and a band or a musician and um an audience or whatever it may be and what you're describing to me is sounding like that feeling of enlightenment i think is pure presence like you're a hundred percent being you're not yeah. you're, you're not doing anything you're mm. just going back to what we we're talking about before about being an adult or doing an adult yeah you're just <laughs> entirely being so when you feel that pure presence and you know what the capacity is to affect people with that you want to um you want to facilitate that connection and you that's do. where the teacher thing comes from and that's yep. where yep. if i may be yeah you're spot on yeah it, yeah, it's about, I guess, if you if, if you want to go a little deeper, and I'm not well read in this area by any means, so forgive me if I'm not using the right words, but it's something about trying, I know that humans can be better, and I'm not, that's not a pessimistic look at humanity, it's mm. an optimistic one. I know that we've still got a long way to evolve, and a lot of that's to do with, you know, how we use our brains and how we use whatever it is that energy it is that that flows through our bodies it, it's something about getting closer to be some being some kind of light being mm. which exists on a, a a higher level because as we get closer to that the problems of the world like in star trek can start to dissipate <laughs> you know i i i think there's some simple solutions to make the world a better place and i want the world to be a better place partially because i've got children but partially because Humans deserve it. We're a beautiful species. And yet there's all these things going on that really don't make sense. Every time I turn on the news, it's like, oh, God, why is that happening? Is it getting worse or is is the information just more accessible now? What's mm. going on? Why are these, why are these horrific? Th why are humans doing horrific things to humans? Why aren't we working together as a community, you know? 
There's a beautiful, oh God, I hoped we'd get to this point and I've just made sure we have. Yeah, There's on. a beautiful word that my wife was telling me about doing midwifery and I'm going to look it up so I don't get it wrong. It's a beautiful word which describes, I think, a, a, a little bit about the way I, I live my life mm. but it's also, I, I guess it's part of that philosophy that I've just been talking about, about how, how can we get to the next stage of being good humans. Here's the word. The word is Ubuntu. 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 Yeah. U b u n t u. Ubuntu. Yeah. Now, I I think from my very very limited research, which is pretty much my wife talking to me about it, <laughs> I think it's a South African word, which means it's to do with humans, um, looking out for each other, and it's it's to do with it's to do with the fact that you can't be happy unless everyone's happy. And there's a, there's a, I think the, 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 the lovely story that she told me, which really sort of hammered this point home about what Ubuntu is about, is the story of someone, a Westerner who was over there trying to understand the concept. And so they did an experiment and they got a big basket of lollies and they stuck it under a tree. And there was all these children there from a school, young kids, five, six-year-olds or something. And they were, they were told, all right, everyone, when I say go, run towards that bowl of the basket of sweets Whoever gets there first, they're all yours. And the kids, without hesitation, joined hands and walked there together and all got there at the same time and shared it amongst themselves. Mm. And the person who was trying to understand this concept of Ubuntu was like, what are you doing? I, I just said that whoever gets there first gets them all. And they're like, but how could that be enjoyable for us if, if the others are missing out? It's not, it's not fun. It's not good. It's not life. It's not, it's, it's not a reason. It's, that's not how we exist. Mm. <gasps> Oh, isn't that perfect? It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's just it humans, and it's not. And it's it's not about. It's not about making sure that, you know, it, I think there's this really sort of Western attitude where we go, um, look, I'm going to be good to you, but I expect you to be good back to me. It's conditional. I don't. Yeah, the conditional bit is the is the problem. Mm-hmm. It's not. Look, I'll give to charity, but I want you to recognize that I've given to charity. You know, it's not. I'll give you a, a polite wave in the car, and if you don't give me one back, you get the fucking bird, which I find myself guilty of all the time. If I don't get the polite wave back, oh, <laughs> give me a wave. Yeah, where's my polite wave? Where's my thank you? It can't be conditional. It needs to be. No, no. no I just want to make sure that that you're happy, and you know, if I can do anything to make your life better then my life's better because that's the way humans that's how we will succeed in in evolving that's how gaia mm. works that's how the earth we're just one organism if, if something's sick in an organism all the other bits go and try and fix that because then the whole organism works again doesn't it mm-hmm. it's that kind of feeling of that's 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 the way i think we can evolve and for me my way to access that has always been through music and love and a bit of spirituality you know mm-hmm. i, I I'm I'm very much into, you know, trying to find similarities between religions and find out well, what's the common thing in all these things. What's everyone saying? And it's pretty much that. It's pretty much it's do unto others. You know, it's you know, it, and and it's Ubuntu. Mm. But I think the do unto others thing is flawed because it's conditional. Because then there's the expectation that do unto others as you would have done to you. Mm. Doesn't have to be conditional, does it? That's just what we're putting on that phrase. Yeah, I guess so. One of the big sort of lessons that I've been learning lately uh, in line with that is the only thing that you can control in life is your capacity or your ability to give love. 
yes. as you say. You can't control how much you receive. You can't control how people will receive it. Hmm. The only thing you can really control is how much you're prepared to give and how much you do give on a daily basis. That's lovely. Good. And I think that that's something that you're saying is that people need to, humanity just needs to give that to each other without the condition or the need to want to receive something in return. Your your world will improve if you're just pumping out that love shit, mate. Yeah. This is it. This is it. Look, I'm going to go into a a place which I don't normally go into, but I feel comfortable and safe in this environment. Is that all right? (laughs) By all means. My wife said if I ever talk about this, it's going to sound a little bit uh, like I might be having an episode. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to just go here. Please. Because this, this whole thing is an episode. Well, well a psychotic episode, yeah. with all due respect. Um, it, this, this is a thing that I'm thinking about, which, which I've been thinking about my whole life, and it, it sort of ties these things together a little bit about the religions and the energy and modern spirituality and, um, and all this stuff and music and everything. It's about the fact that I do believe that... Oh, here we go. Oh, go on. Right. We'll do a I do believe. <laughs> I do believe that... That this energy that we're talking about, this thing that you chuck around in gigs, this thing that you have um, with friends, with loved ones, this thing which um, one might experience doing doing Reiki, for instance, uh, this energy, this is, is is a real tangible thing. And I think religions and poets and musicians and dancers and artists and enlightened people all through history have all cottoned onto this energy, and most of us call it love. I think it's a thing. I think love is a, an energy. And the sooner we can prove love's existence, and love, by the way, God is love, so that that energy is God. The sooner we can prove that, the sooner we can get to the next step. Because once something's proven as being a tangible, real thing, a scientific thing, then we then we go to the next stage. Okay, what do we do with this thing, this energy? You can play with it. You, you, know, you, you can't really photograph it, but you can feel it. Everyone knows it's there. Everything in in life is based on that thing. So please, scientists, hurry up and work out how to photograph it, how to measure it, how to quantify it, and then we can go to the next step and work out what the hell to do with that. Mm-hmm. Star Trek, empaths, just we're nearly there. Come on, we're nearly. I just like to see it in my lifetime. I don't think you sound like you're having a, an episode. Oh, thank you, bless. I, I happen to agree with what you're oh, saying. Oh, really? And I okay. heard a beautiful thing that was said by a poet. Um, name his name is Anis Mojgani. Yes, um, beautiful poet. You should check him out on YouTube. I will. Um, he says that magic is just sci- uh, undiscovered science. Yeah, magic uh, happens. Uh, or science under. He says it far more poetically than that. <laughs> yeah, more poetically than those stickers on the cars. Magic happens. Yeah, um, but no, I agree with you, and I think you touched on a similar point to what I had discussed with Michaela, which was about. You know, I'm not a religious person. I was brought up in a Jewish household. My family's Jewish, but I don't feel any particular affinity to Judaism okay, yeah. in a religious sense. And um, that spurns the question of, do you believe in a monotheistic deity or anything like that? And I happen to agree with you that I think that God is just another word for love. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you that there is this great power that every person has to access that and to inspire and impassion other people 
to live with that and to spread that through their own energy. Um, I think energy is infectious and contagious. I think it's an element. It needs to get get up on there on the periodic table. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I think it's a thing which it can't be destroyed like elements. I think what and this is, I mean, it, it would explain so much of everything. Um, if someone dies, an energy is is still present, isn't it? And you know, and, and then we've got an explanation for ghosts, spirits, angels. All these things make sense, you know. The, the the feeling you get when someone passes away, but you still feel like they're there in your heart. That's it's just that's a brain idea, but it's I think it's a tangible element. Mm. And the sooner the sooner we get. Did I hear you say with your Michaela episode a converse way of thinking about do unto others mm. that is Jewish? No, no. The uh, it was a. Uh, I think I told a um an anecdote that was about i know the anecdote went too long don't worry yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i won't tell it again (laughs) go back and listen to that podcast yeah yeah great anecdote great just going for too long you just needed the rap no i think what i was saying was that because we were talking about the tall poppy thing and how people are very willing to give that love to other people but they don't necessarily give it to themselves yes um they treat other people like they'd like to be treated, but they don't treat themselves like they'd like to be treated. Yeah, uh, and I really believe that that's an ass about tits way of doing things because <laughs> if you don't love yourself, how the fuck can you love someone else? That's it. Really? Yeah. It's then it's conditional. If you love yourself unconditionally, you're not going to be affected by other people when they're angry or upset or when they're giving you the finger when you're driving. You're just going to be like, "Cool, man." Yeah, you can you know be. I mean? You can be in your moment mm. with, from your perspective of the world. That's right, Dalai Lama. <laughs> That's the art See, of just, happiness, I, isn't it? I threw it all. I threw that energy out at you. I got really impassioned there for a second. I loved it. Yeah, but still, go back and listen to the Michaela episode if you're listening to this one and you feel like doing that. It's a lovely one. Well, thank you. There is a there is a um there is a there is a, a funny thing going on in the world at the moment that I have noticed a little bit of, which is um the the the, the strive for happiness and how it seems to have gone a little off track so that so many people in this day and age have worked out a little bit of what you're talking about, which is how how do I love myself? How do I make myself happy? To the point where it's, it's such a quick fix now mm. to get some dopamines rushing around your body, a bit of oxytocin. You, you can pick up a device, an eye device, and you can have a quick fix on Candy Crush and boom, you feel a little bit good. Made myself happy. Mm. You know, you, it's it's just... But it's not real. Well, no. Well, it is. It's still... You're still getting a little moment of happiness, but mm. at, at the expense of the fact that you're no longer necessarily doing it with the community. Like mm. the community has been lost a little bit in this eye generation mm-hmm. um, to the point where, you know, we've forgotten to look after our elders anymore that that needs to be normal again mm. it's always been normal throughout history that a community exists you know as an as a relatively new parent i've got a six and a two-year-old if i had a community or a tribe around me i wouldn't be as fatigued as i am because sometimes i'd hand the baby around for someone else to look after but we're we're feeling alone in this crowded world because the community's not there anymore. Mm. You know, my wife went to visit her nan yesterday and her nan's ancient like Yoda um, and wise like Yoda, but she's not getting visits enough 
from people who could learn from her wisdom. Mm. And she's going to the chemist and they're ripping her off and they're telling her to buy, oh, you need to buy this this pill and she buys that pill, but she could be buying the generic. Why, why is the piss being taken out of our elders when they are the carriers of wisdom? Mm. You know, what's going on? What's happened? Why yeah. is everyone so interested in making sure that they're happy. Oh my God, I'm so happy right now. Look how many likes I got on Instagram. Oh my God, this look at my I'm biceps saying. and my abs. They are making me happy. I think that's what I'm saying about it not being real in the sense that that is, it's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. Sure. Because you're not, the reason that these that I think people are seeking that sort of self-gratification is because fundamentally there is a lack of community and there's a lack of that communal energy and that tribe and that, you know, all of that going yeah, on. Yeah, dude. Where's my tribe? And yeah. this is why throughout youth, you know, it was really apparent in the 90s. I think it's become diluted somewhat now because we're all sort of becoming the same person. But it was so important to find the right tribe, you know. That's why I'm, you know, I got into hip-hop because I, I got it. All right, I can fit in that world. I can... Mm. I can rap and I can DJ and I wish I could break dance, but I can't, you know, I got into graph for a little bit, but it was, they were, they were my people. I can recognize them on the street. That's my tribe, but they're not going to look after my baby, nor no. are rude boys when I got into ska music, you know, um, Rastafarians aren't probably going to be interested in looking babysitting for me necessarily, you know, have you asked? No, no, that's a good point. Perhaps I should, <laughs> but I can't embrace that, <laughs> that tribe wholly anymore. <laughs> so you were an extra in star wars episode two. <laughs> yes <laughs> good segue <laughs> um yes yes i was that made me happy there's a segue yeah i i, I was how funny how weird how surreal mm. that's like being in the bible how did that happen i just pushed for it i just hassled my management from the moment i got management i'm like so I hear they're shooting Star Wars in Australia. So any leads, any chance? What can I do? What can I do? Every single phone call to the point where she was so sick of me doing it that she got a contact. She worked it out. I flew myself to Sydney and I'm in the background of Dex's diner in scene 11 in Attack of the Clones <laughs> in the background being a warm prop. <laughs> the vest. It's like a episode two version of um, The Cantina. You're less exciting. Mm. Yeah. Less Han Solo. You're less, less Han. It's a bit of Obi-Wan and the dude with four arms talking about an arrowhead. I never listen to that scene because I'm looking at myself in the back. <laughs> there I am. Look, 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 kids. Look at daddy. <laughs> in Star Wars. In Star Wars. That's good on my resume, isn't it? Yeah. It's, Do you think? Yeah. I still... I, I, Star Wars was one of those things growing up which taught me a bit about spirituality. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I was... I guess I was seeking it from a young age. How's that for a segue back to stuff? I liked it. I liked it a lot. We didn't get the fart joke in the middle, though. Which one? Well, I said we'd have a fart joke. Oh, no, we'll you. get one in now. Don't oh, worry. Cool. There's still time. Well, not much time, actually. No, well, I'll get one in in a minute. Um, but it was it was one of those things that accidentally was teaching me spirituality. So clearly I was seeking it as a youngster and stuff was going in my brain. I put spirituality down to Star Wars and Monkey Magic just accidentally going into my brain mm. searching for some answers to these questions that every human has you know and i feel quite confident in my my answers that i've come up with about spirituality about science and and spirituality need to make make friends and we, that's how we get to the next step then there can be more questions that we'll have once we get mm-hmm. to that step it's not going to stop no. it's not going to be like oh, okay we get it now 
It's an ever-evolving process. Absolutely. You know, we're not using all of our brains or our souls at the moment. And so why don't we? Mm. Why, don't we why don't we work together to try and get to that place mm. and be light beings? Do you think that's what the meaning of life is? No, that's 42. That, that's a nerd reference. <laughs> the meaning of life is 42. Is it not? Restaurant at the end of... No. Is it The Hitchhiker's Guide? Oh, yeah, yeah. 42. Which is my age. That's, <gasps> age. that's why I thought you said that. Stop everything. <laughs> <laughs> That was my mind exploding. I can see it everywhere, especially on the cum. Uh, oh, dude. Dude. I haven't got a fart joke. I've got a different joke. It's a fruit joke. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Well, you want, you want some, some piece of scatology in here, don't you? I, I'm up for whatever. Have you got more questions? Because they get quite deep. And yeah, we'll put, stuff we'd go about. for hours. We know? could go for hours. There, there are a couple of standard questions that I haven't asked you yet. Oh, okay. I might ask one of those first. Okay, go, go, go. And, and I'll save my fruit joke. It's yeah. going to be amazing. Good tease. I can't wait for yeah. that. Yeah. I'm really looking forward right to it. Right after this ad break. Oh, there's no ads. No, no Sick, ads. mate. Yeah. All we right. could put an ad break in. We could do a mock ad right now. <laughs> All right, go. Fruit Loops. Oh, I'll do a fruit ad. No, 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 no. Let's go. We'll save my fruit joke. Um, so what... Do you remember the first time that you entertained people or yes the... go on uh, i think it's a pretty standard answer for the entertaining kind of people that you've been having into this stinky room and that's at the dinner table mm. i do remember I, I remember like we'd we'd all sit around the dinner table it was a nice polished black table which i used to clean with mr shane because i love clean things and We'd sit around and the dinner conversation, and we'd go, we were sort of, oh, how's your day? La, 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 doing this, doing that, la, la, la. And then I'd notice a lull, and I'd be like, oh, God. Oh, God, there can't be a lull. No, no, no. And I would start doing Jabba the Hutt impersonations at the table. <laughs> and everyone would be, oh, that's great. And then it would lift the mood again. And we, like, I hated the lull, you know, which is probably useful for the, the current kind of jobs that I do, mm. which is to keep the flow going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was Jabba the Hutt impersonations. It was pretty much me making the tail out of my arms mm. and then placing the arms on the table so you can't see my legs. I'm trying to describe what I'm doing to you visually. <laughs> and then uh, going, Like I didn't even do the, the, the lines right, yeah. but they thought it was great. And so I think it was me, Jabba the Hutting at the table, which really was the start of performing, mm. getting a reaction, improving mood. You know, I think there's really something in that moment for, I mean, certainly there was for me and the consistent, I think, thing with uh, a lot of other guests through this has been that feedback that you get to go, I feel really good about this. I feel really good about having um, put, put that energy out there mm. and rece- receiving it back. That's an, it's addictive. Mm. And I don't think it's necessarily an ego thing. It's, it is about that. What's the word again? It's about making sure everyone at the table is happy. That's a, that's a salmon roll. What? I said unagi, but that's a salmon yeah, no, roll. Yeah, no, that was close. Ubuntu. 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 I want someone to Google this after listening to this, and then mm. they'll be enlightened too. It's a lovely word. All right. Um, how important do you think it is to take things with good humor on that note? Um, you're saying you don't, want to, you, know, you, you don't like having the lull in there. You want to keep things up. Yeah. Um, and I think that a gift of yours is your ability to take things with really good humor. I, I, I think, I think um, humor is a really beautiful way to open the door and invite someone in. Uh, I, I see myself, if I'm to look at what I do currently, 
uh, working on a Nova breakfast show, doing an Adelaide breakfast show. I, I see it as a, 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 a way to invite people in to a safe and fun place. And once they're in and we get some trust going, then we can actually deal with some more important issues. Um, still with a sprinkling of lightheartedness and humour because I think it it just helps you deal with the, the mm. heavier things in life, I guess. Yeah. Not in a sad clown kind of way by any means. I've had some shit fucking things happen to me in life and I'm still able to laugh and still able to carry on and I think, you know, humour is, is part of that saviour as well as music. So, yeah, I think it's... It's right up there as being. It's 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 an awesome thing that humans have invented, isn't it? I don't mm. see any other animals gagging around too much. Monkeys play, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if there's much humour in what they're doing. There's, no. there's joy, there's joy. Yeah. But to craft humour or to, you know, to make puns and all those things that I love so much, it's, it's a, a beautiful gift that humans have. Mm, I agree, and. Again, going back and watching some recovery stuff and seeing like um, the interview that you did with um, uh, the guy from Weezer. Oh, God, you've bought that up. My least favorite interview in the fucking world. Well, the reason that I bring it up is because (laughs) it's very apparent that it was a a very um, testing interview. Was a bit testy, and uh, and the humor with which you kind of took it. You didn't get pissed off. You didn't get angry. You didn't you know um make him into an asshole or anything you just took it with good humor and you're the first person to say something nice about that interview it gets brought up to this very day there was a web page created to hate me after that interview and the web page was called something like the reason weezer won't come to australia is this man dylan lewis and it has that interview and if you look at the comments section great everyone go on youtube this please don't the comments (laughs) there's about two hundred fifty thousand comments hating me Mm. going this interview is a douche what a dickhead he doesn't respect this man and it's like and I, I, I keep finding myself going, oh, God, I need to fix this. I need to, I need to talk to him again and just put this to rest once and for all. Mm. I got his name a bit wrong at the start of the interview. I called him River Weezer. And my justification for that was, oh, no, no, that's what we did in the 90s. We, we used your first name and stuck it to your band name, like Wally Meany from the Meanies. That's sort of a thing we did. Um, and I think, is, is it Rivers, his name? Or is it River? Whatever. River. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Whatever his name is. I got it slightly wrong at the start. And the research was strange. And I was trying to research interesting things that were sort of a bit quirky to what do I bring up in the interview? Because I know they're a great band and I love their music. Um, and was, I think I asked a question about, oh, you formed on Valentine's Day. Why weren't you on a date? And it was like, that's something I know never would have been asked because it's a strange connection to make. But it was... This, the research as I was doing, as I mentioned before, was off photocopied paper from magazine articles and off the liner notes. And so I thought that was a well-researched question. Mm. It just came across crap. Years later, I found out he was on acid. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Like he's already beautifully odd, mm. but that didn't help. It was first thing in the morning. It was very live. There was no way we could go back and edit it. And I thought once that interview was done, I'm like, oh, God, thank God that's done. It's finished. It's gone. It's finished forever. Go away. No. no. Then YouTube got invented. 20 and some years fuck later. got a VHS and put it up there for thousands of people around the world to hate. Mm. But thank you for seeing the, 
for the side that I hope someone would see. You've done it. Well done. Thank you. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I, I mean, feel like I've, I've, I can put that to bed now that you've said that. Do you? Oh, that's yeah, good. Sort I'm, of. I'm glad. You don't really do. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Until you go home and watch it and look at all the comments again. Yeah. No, but I really I do think that there's something really... And I'm sure I wouldn't have thought it at the time because I was 12. <laughs> um, but certainly looking looking at it through my current state of mind, I'm looking at it going, you're doing your best through and, and, and with a good sensibility and with a good humor to make the, the best of a pretty yeah. fucking abhorrent situation on live television. It was abhorrent. It was abhorrent. Yeah. And that, I mean, I guess um, without being convoluted by any means that's that's the aim in my job it's to make someone look good mm-hmm. it's to make do the best i can whether or not people think they're shit or i think they're shit there's always some beauty in there and that's that's what i hack away to try and get to that that moment of gold where we go we see them mm-hmm. without their armor on and yeah, we go yeah. oh oh and then their music makes more sense that's mm-hmm. the only reason i wanted to do it that's the only reason i still do it to this day because i want to i want I want people to have the right to be seen as they truly are. And mm. it's it's scary. I mean, you know, I've come into this chat with a certain amount of armor on. I've still got mm-hmm. my legs crossed. That's mm-hmm. body language. Because it, some of this stuff is uh, slightly confronting and revealing uh, about myself. Mm. You know, but you've you've beautifully managed to convince me that it's 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 a safe enough place to to reveal some stuff, mm. you know, expose myself a little bit. Not my dick, like your bro. But no, that's always weird. And I don't know how to <laughs> broach disgusting. that. Should I have told you? No, I, I knew because I've listened to your other episodes that this might be a thing. I just didn't think it would be real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's going to very quickly get a reputation. I know. It's a CD And he'll probably man. get more calls than he's ever had before. <laughs> Hello, Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the phone now whilst pointing to his fucking jizz rag. Swipe right. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Um... Are you ready? Are you ready for my fruit joke? I was going to say, I feel like it's come to a very kind of natural, um, yeah. rounded circle. Yeah. So before you tell me your uh, fruit <sighs> joke, which it wait. actually might tie into this, what makes you silly? Silly? Mm. Uh, I think by nature I am. But I'll tell you what, having kids has given me new reason and new justification to bring out the sillies a whole lot more. It's it's the greatest the greatest justification ever to play again you know playing Mm. music playing with toys you know making up stories together doing art together cooking together being silly is very important so my kids have reminded me how to be silly Mm. how to tap into that inner child yep that we lose at some point for some reason and then find again heaven forbid that we lose it forever Mm. it needs to always play Mm, I agree. What is a, do, you, do you have an example of a story that you've uh, created recently? Um, I, I, the stories are created all the time. We, you know, we're getting into cubby making now, and then I've noticed that, um, especially my daughter, because my son's too too small to construct full sentences yet. But my daughter is really into fantasy worlds where she she will dictate where we are and what's happening and who's walking by and whether there's a unicorn flower nearby <laughs> or you know she's she she's starting to get it and it's beautiful and she recently um started a lyric book at the age of six so she's writing songs isn't wow. that beautiful and awesome. poems and songs so i'm very i'm a very proud dad mm. 
Absolutely. That would be a very humbling experience, I'm sure. Yeah, man, that's it. I mean, I, I, sh- I wish I'd started writing lyrics and learning music earlier. But the fact that she's doing it at six and she's having little piano lessons with me very happily sitting next to her, mm. helping her along that journey, you know, and she's not hating it. You know, if she ever hated it, I, I'm, not, I'm not forcing her to do anything by any means. I'm giving her opportunities and saying, do you like this? Do you like this? She's done some circus, gymnastics, ballet, and the thing she's been sticking with beautifully is piano. Yes, a bit of piano, a bit of piano, the goanna. Yeah, my son's, um, I can tell he's musical as well because he claps in time and Mm. he seems to only calm down if I'm playing music to him because he's really energetic, hypo, like little crazy motherfucker. (laughs) But then like to, to get him to be still in the bath, I've got to bring out my didgeridoo <laughs> he, he claps along with me doing the tapping sticks of the didgeridoo oh, wow. it's lovely and then and he goes guitar singing. guitar and I bring out the guitar and the accordion and the harp sing a bit of lion sleeps tonight with a harp it's a bit of a house favourite wow <laughs> yeah I would like to hear that I, I nearly bought my harp and then oh. I realised too late that it's not accessible sorry oh that's okay I, I got up this morning at 4.30 to go to work that's when I realised, shit, I should get my harp, but it's on top of my cupboard at the moment, so I couldn't wake up the family trying to get my harp. Sorry, man. Yeah. I'm, uh, episode next. Yeah, episode next. When I do it with you again I, one I would day. love to have you back in I'd love point. It seems like we've got so much more to talk about. Well, again, I, this happens every, every time. I'm like, <laughs> this week I'm going to ask all the questions <laughs> and, I ask, and I ask Dude, one. it's the Babylon. That's what happens. It is, and I, I, I love it. Um, I love it too. Good on you for doing thank this. Thank you so much for coming in here and i would really love to hear your um your fruit joke now what's better than eating a mandarin what eating a mandarin out Whoa! Oh! Boom! we're gonna edit that out <laughs> fuck you that's good it's very good gear that's a great joke thank you thank you that's Thanks, all right Dylan.